You're listening to a Sunday morning sermon by Authentic Church. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Thank you for your welcome today. And uh, it's lovely to be with you and just to be able to share a few thoughts. If you do follow um, the preach from your Bibles, if you turn to Matthew chapter 6, that's where I'm going to like be focusing on. I'll come to that in a minute. And uh, yeah, all good. Just thought it'd be really good. Uh, it's my first time here at Authentic Church and just the opportunity just to share a few thoughts. It'd be good, as Tammy said, just to introduce myself a little bit more. So I'm a Norfolk boy, born and bred. Grew up in a little village just outside this, a little village called Dickleborough. Some of you may have heard of that if you are from this part of the world. Um, and uh, my dad was a farmer, and uh, so I was a farmer. I'm a farmer's son. Uh, my parents uh, are not with us anymore. They passed away, both of them, over the last few years. Uh, but they love Jesus, which is the most important thing, so their future is secure, which is great, isn't it? Um, and I have one sister, and, and we're just privileged that all of our family are, are following Jesus, so that's great. So then I met, met my wife, Michelle, when I was 18 years old. She was from uh, about 25 miles outside of London. So when we got married at the young age of 20, goodness me, and, um, and we lived down there for quite a lot of years. And then in 2000, we moved back to Norfolk. Just, I, was, I was a youth worker and then a full-time uh, leader in the church in Essex that we were part of in South Essex. Uh, but in around about 1999, I just really felt God begin to speak to me about moving back to Norfolk. And we were at a conference in Southampton, actually. Um, and my wife and I were just really tussling and really wrestling with this whole idea because we loved living where we lived. We absolutely loved living in South Our little boy Jack was five. He'd made loads of little friends and all our friends were down there. Members of our family were down there as well. Um, so we went to this conference and um, I remember, I don't know why I'm sharing this, maybe this is maybe this is of someone this morning, but um, I remember standing at this conference and the leader of the conference said, before we start the conference, why don't you just turn around to people and just pray for the two days that we're going to be spending together. It was actually was what was the, is now the Pioneer Leaders Conference, actually. And um, this guy and his wife turned around, we'd never met them before, and uh, as we were just praying together, he just stopped and he said to Michelle and I, he said, I've got a word for you. Come and see me at the coffee break. I want to bring this word that I believe God's got for you. So we were like, I wonder what that's all going to be about. So we found him at the coffee break and we said, look, you said you've got a word for us. He said, I have. He said, I don't know what this means, but he said, I believe God is, he looked at me actually. And he said, I believe God's going to take you back to where you came from. Fascinating, isn't it? And that was the confirmation that we really felt. So in 2000, we moved back to Norfolk. Um, I started my own business in decorating, painting and decorating and DIY. I've always enjoyed doing that kind of stuff. So for five years, I did that because uh, you can't just walk into a church and say, give me a job. Um, so I thought, right, I love doing that kind of thing. So I made the use of that over five years. And then in 2005, the leader of the church in Dis really felt called by God, him and his wife, to go to Ibiza to start the 24-7 prayer Ibiza work on the island of Ibiza, working with all the clubs and, and nightclubs and bars, reaching Jesus there. So they started 24-7 Ibiza, which was amazing. Um, and then I was invited to take on the leadership of the church. So I've been doing that since 2005. I'm 57 years old. So I'm at the stage in my life where I'm beginning to think, what does the next 10 years look like in terms of ministry? 
which has been lovely to see how that's developed. So we in Hope Church in Dis, we joined Pioneer in 2017. Um, we weren't part of any network and we felt we should be. Um, and the only person that I knew relationally was a guy called Billy Kennedy, who at the time was leading Pioneer UK. Um, and so I rang him and said, Billy, we really do need to connect to something. So he came and had the weekend with us and we loved what we saw in Pioneer and, and, in, and within that year we joined Pioneer. And then in 2019, Billy Kennedy uh, relinquished the leadership of Pioneer UK and handed it over to a lady called Ness Wilson um, and Billy became the leader of Pioneer International. So um, some, some, some of you might not know this, but you know, obviously you guys are part of Pioneer. Um, and so Ness took on the national team and a couple of years or so later she invited me to be part of the national team and to look to set up Pioneer East. Pioneer's got five regions, North, South, Midlands and London, but they didn't have anything in the kind of eastern counties, particularly around East Anglia. We were part of Pioneer um, and the, the lovely story is that we've, we've now got five churches in, in Pioneer in this part of the world. So we've got one in Sheringham, uh, Ian and Sue lead that. We've got another one in Haverhill, Paul and Wendy lead that. Obviously we've got here, Authentic with Nigel and Tammy. Um, Michelle and I are involved in, in leading Hope Church and then we've just started working with another church that's doing all the joining paperwork to pioneer a little a little church in, in Ipswich, James and Steph, lovely couple, and they've got a, they've got about a dozen or so people with them. So uh, so I'm I'm connecting with him a lot. I'm I'm off to see them in January again and spend some time with them as a church. So really really exciting. I'm a great believer, you know, I've always believed this actually, that the kingdom of God isn't about numbers, it's about influence. And I, and I think that when Jesus came to the earth, and I'm going to touch a little bit on that uh, as I just share with you, but I think, you know, I as an individual, as a Christian, have a responsibility to be a kingdom influencer. I have a responsibility to influence others with the message of the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of God. And if I do that and I give my life to that, in some ways, it doesn't really matter what else I do in life. That has to become my priority. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God and the message of the kingdom. And I think wherever we are as Christians, whether we're in a, a mega church of thousands or whether we're called to be part of a village network and in a smaller location rurally, and I love, you know, cut me open, I bleed rural England. I love, I love rural Norfolk. I wouldn't, I'm not a city boy at all. Um, I, I, I lived near a city for long enough with Michelle and I couldn't wait to get back really so that's good so I've just come back so that's a little bit about Pioneer there's about 55 churches with about another 17 looking in at this moment in time um, one one or two of those are in this region so that's quite encouraging we just had so I think we're going to grow so that's exciting and then Billy as I said is now part of Pioneer International um, that on, that's only that's only been going for about five four years and and I have the joy of being part of the Pioneer International team as well I've only just come back from Kenya last week um, we had our we had our East African Pioneer Leaders Conference leaders from from Kenya, Tanzania, Burundi, and Uganda. That was brilliant. About 150 leaders representing about 500 Pioneer churches. Actually, it's gone mad. There's Pioneer churches in uh, about 35 countries of the world now: Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, um, Nepal. There's a little group of churches in Sri Lanka right now. Um, so Billy's very busy traveling. Um, Kenya, Pioneer Kenya, Pioneer Tanzania, um, Sierra Leone, Ghana, 
Guinea in the West, that was about five West African countries, and then into Cuba, some in South America, and then about five in North America as well. So that keeps Billy Kennedy really busy. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I've loved about Pioneer, and I think that's probably what drew Tammy and Nigel to it in the first instance, was it's just a really lovely relational network. It's, it's not based on hierarchy. I really like that. I'm, if you hung around with me long enough, you'd get to know me really quickly because I like making friends. I like being with people. I'm a real people person. Um, I just really enjoy that. And so um, one of the things that I've loved about Pioneer is whether you are in a church of 500 or a church of five, um, the relational connection is what, what really makes it. So, um, so uh, you know, I'm not, I've not come here to bang the Pioneer drum particularly, um, but I just love being part of that and I, and I love making friends and I'm among friends today and I've got to know Nigel and Tammy well over the last couple of years. So that's been really good. So uh, thanks for your welcome, and I will enjoy, I'd like chocolate, <laughs> although I have just gone, tipped into the pre-diabetic range, so I have to, I've just got to be careful how much chocolate I eat, which is going to be a challenge in the next few weeks, I would think. So um, yeah, so um, I've purposely veered away from a traditional Christmas message today. I know this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we've just started the Advent season. I love Christmas. Um, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, but I've, I have literally, this just eight days ago, I was in Kenya, and when, when you've gone to a third world country and you see the poverty and the terrifying circumstances that people live in, it does bring our Christmas into perspective. So I, I do struggle a little bit with some of the consumer greed aspects of the Western Christmas. And, and I think when you've touched a third world country, it does give you a bit of perspective on that. And uh, so my wife's parents were missionaries in Uganda for 17 years. So we, we love East Africa. We've gone backwards and forwards to East Africa many times. And so we've, we've lived with African people a lot and uh, just seeing the way that they have to struggle. I also came back from Kenya straight into um, one of my best friend's funeral. Died really suddenly six weeks ago. Um, I won't go into the detail of that, but in his dying two weeks, he asked if I would take his funeral, which was a real honour. And uh, So I've had, I've had quite a bit going on in the last week, um, but it just gives you a perspective again that actually we're not here forever, are we? You know, we are, you know, I know this is a little bit of a cliche, but we're pilgrims passing through this world. And I think Jesus really, when he brought the message of the kingdom, I think that's one of the things he wanted to get across to his followers, that this world is only temporary. And what we need to give ourselves to is, is, a, is an eternal kingdom perspective. And I guess today, that's what I want to share just in the next 25 minutes or so with you um, about why I believe the kingdom of God has to be the thing that should motivate every waking hour of our lives. It's not a brand. It's not Pioneer. It's not even the title Authentic or the title Hope Church. It, it's not a denomination. It's not even a group of churches. It's actually... Jesus, you've called me, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you've called me to be someone who is completely given over to the kingdom of God. And that's challenging, particularly when you read some of the things that Jesus spoke about in terms of the kingdom. So I don't, I don't know about you, um, and you might not have a competitive bone in your body, and that's okay, but I have thousands of competitive bones in my body, and I like to win. Um, I'm not a bad loser. Well, I don't think I'm a bad loser, but I do like to win. And I grew up playing 
quite a lot of sport. In fact, I was talking to a couple of people before. I, I know this area really well because I was... I, was, I used to play for Dis High School and I played for South Norfolk. So we, I've played loads of football matches at Wyndham College, Wyndham High, Attleborough. I played all the local schools when I was like a teenager. Uh, played for my county, so I played for Norfolk as well at football. But my favourite and best sport was table tennis. And when I was about 14, 15 years old, my dad used to take me to the Suffolk coach in Brandon. Um, and I was coached by the Suffolk County coach uh, in Brandon. He would take me over there every fortnight and he would drive me from Dis to Brandon. I look back for what a commitment that was of my dad. It was a fair journey, actually. And I would spend like uh, three or four hours with the coach and I would practice. And I don't know if you've ever played table tennis, but obviously you, you can picture what a table tennis table looks like. And on the corner of the table, my coach would get a piece of chalk and he would do a little semicircle on each corner, just right on the corner, about, about I don't know, about four or five centimetres, five or six centimetres big, just on the corner. And I had to practice and practice and practice until every time I hit the ball, it would land in that corner because he used to say to me if you can hit the corners you'll win your matches and so I, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and then I'd get home and on the farm we had a we had a room a sports room uh, in one of the buildings and I would and I would practice and practice and practice and practice hitting those corners hitting those corners and the reason I did was not because I just wanted to win I wanted to be first I wanted to be first. When I ran a race, I wanted to be first. Um, and I think looking back, my father, when I grew up and became an adult, my dad would say to me, gosh, Graham, he said, you were so eager, you were so keen, you wanted to be first, you wanted to be the best. And I think sometimes there is something built into us about wanting to do well, wanting to be the best, wanting to be first, you know, and that might be in lots and lots of different areas of life, you know. If you, if you look at statistics, you look at the Guinness Book of Records, it's full of first, isn't it? The first person to run a four-minute four mile, the first country to be land on the moon, the first person to run a four-minute mile, the first person to run the marathon under three hours. It's full of firsts. That whole book is dedicated to people who were first or the best at what they did. And I think in so many people, there is this innate kind of thing within them. I, I want to do well. I want to be first. And then Jesus uh, comes into Matthew chapter 6, and he in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where Matthew chapter six is he talks about you know not worrying and not fearing not being full of anxiety and he talks about how you know look at the birds of the air see how your father in heaven feeds them look at the, how the lilies of the field are clothed and he talked about not worrying about those things don't worry about what you will eat what you will wear but then he finishes that little section um, in Matthew 6 in verse 33 which I think ought to become the kind of life verse for every Christian all right he, he finishes that section of Matthew chapter 6 and he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else or all of these things which Jesus had just been talking about will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Seeking first God's kingdom is God's number one priority for all of us. God, Jesus didn't hide that from us. It's not something we need to pray about. It's not something we need to think about. It's something he is asking 
us to do, to seek first his kingdom. And Jesus was super clear with his disciples. This is who he was talking to, actually. If you read the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he withdrew and he, he gathered his disciples around him and, and he, he gave them a whole load of stuff. I mean, it's a, if you've ever had the chance to study the Beatitudes and, and, the, and the Sermon on the Mount, it's a fascinating study. It's a brilliant three chapters of the Word of God. Um, and Jesus is really clear with his disciples. Here there is no room for misunderstanding. He's saying, my priority for you is this firstly seek my kingdom and I think for me the kingdom was the only message that Jesus preached he had one message you know I know Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and I know he said some amazing stuff but Jesus only came to the earth with one message and it was the message of the kingdom of heaven in fact, in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says this, from that time on, so, you know, Matthew 1 and 2, you know, the birth of Jesus had taken place, Jesus begins his ministry, and pretty much one of the first things that Jesus said in Matthew's gospel was these words. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that was the message that Jesus took into every village, every town, every region that he found himself in. He preached the kingdom of heaven. He preached this kingdom that had come to earth through him and that is beautiful isn't it the fact that when Jesus came to the earth he brought the kingdom of God from heaven to earth I love that little phrase that Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and our prayer must be God's kingdom come now of course the fullness of the kingdom will come when Jesus comes back again and we have to live with the, the we have to live in this tension don't we of of wanting to see God's kingdom come but live with the tension of dealing with everyday stuff on earth you know and you you know, you've only got to see people, you know, my friend who died a few weeks ago at 57 died, you know, died very suddenly. And that's the tension, isn't it? We're still in these earthly bodies. We still get sick. We still have to uh, struggle and battle and fight through the everyday stuff with our, our own health or our own situation in our families. Gosh, if, you, if I were to tell you some of the things that have gone on in my family in the last few years, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not exempt from problems, you know, and, and, and some, tr some struggles. So we all have to live through those day in, day out struggles in family life. But ultimately, our prayer is God would your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven and we want to see more of God's kingdom and so here's the point of, of that that phrase for me when Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God I think when we know our priorities then we know where to put our energy where to put our talents where to put our time and where to put things like our money when we know what to do then we know that we're not wasting our time and, and I, I, you know, when you get to a certain age, and I'm, I'm probably not the youngest in the room, but I'm certainly, uh, but I'm not the oldest in the room either. And when you get to a certain age at 50, you know, 57, I look back and I think, where is the last like 40? I got saved when I was 12. You know, I put my hand up in a gospel service in the United Reformed Church in Dis and gave my life to Jesus. And I had three or four years in that mix where I had a, what, let's say a colourful, colourful season of my life where I didn't really follow Jesus. But thank God, for his grace, he brought me back to him. And I look back over like 45 years and think, where has those 45 years gone? And I look back on my life and think, I could have done more in some areas. I could have given my life more to the purposes of God than I did. But I also am grateful that God has given me this passion and this desire to be a pursuer of his kingdom, to seek his kingdom first. And I feel like uh, Michelle and I have always tried to, whatever God has called us to do, let's just go and do it. 
You know, when we, when we moved from Essex to Norfolk, that was a major decision. You know, we were both in good jobs. All our friends were around us. And then we, we came here and I did what I did. And Michelle then, like, had a... She then travelled from Halston, where we lived, to Bury St Edmunds to do her nursing shift. That was a pretty rotten drive on, down the A143. She was doing 12-hour shifts. And, you know, we, we sometimes would sit around our table. And I remember our son, he sat one breakfast in our house in Halston at seven years old, and he just burst into tears. And he said, Daddy, Mummy, why have you brought me here? I was so heartbreaking. I'm thinking, I don't know, Jack, but it's because God said... And you try and tell a seven-year-old that, you know, this is what we feel Jesus has said to us. That's just so hard, but to try and seek God's kingdom first is so, so important. So I've just got three things. This is a really simple message this morning, but point number one is very simply this. Seeking God's kingdom is more important than seeking my provision. Seeking God's kingdom is more important than seeking my provision. When we pursue what we need, we miss the purpose of God so often. When when I pursue what I need in my life, I will miss God's purpose because I believe that seeking God's kingdom is more important than seeking my provision. And you might be sitting there today thinking, well, I've kind of lived a lot of my life, you know, I've served God. But, you know, it doesn't matter what decade of life you're in or what generation you're in, there is a place for every person in the kingdom of God. And I want to say seeking God's kingdom, whether you're 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, is super important. My mother and father-in-law didn't actually leave the UK to become missionaries until they were in their mid to late 50s. They'd been, he'd been a pastor all of his life from the age of 25, pretty much. All for 30 years, he'd been a pastor of a church. And then at the eight, in his mid-50s, they get called to go and live in a third world country. And, and, and I look at how they lived their lives and I think, I want to be like that. Whatever God you say to me, I want to do. Wherever you lead me, I want to go. Whatever uh, you lead me into, I want to do. Because seeking first your kingdom is more important than seeking my provision. When, we, when the pursuit of his kingdom is the passion of our lives then all of those other things will be added to us it's about being kingdom oriented it's about centering our desires our emotions our finances our gifts around the pursuit of the kingdom of God ask yourself this question can you think of anything more important than the kingdom of God can you think of anything more important than seeking first the kingdom of God because when the kingdom consumes us everything else falls into place one of the things that we've tried to do over our over our our married life is to is to have this kind of live on eighty percent. Oh, you said that might happen. If I stamp, will he come back on again? If we all jump jump around, I think the lights come on, don't they? Um, We've tried to live this 80-20%, live on 80% of our, of our income and give 20% away because we just want to make sure that our motives and our priorities and our focuses around everything that we have as a couple is putting God's kingdom first, not seeking our own provision, but seeking first the kingdom. The reason that I ask that question, can you think of anything more important than the kingdom of God, is because in life we all have an aim. 
we all aim at something. We all center our time. We all center our energy. We all center who we are around things. We are all... Jordan Peterson, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Jordan Peterson. He's a phenomenal... If you, can see, you can click him on YouTube. He's not a Christian, actually. Um, but, you, but he speaks a lot around the Bible. And he does some brilliant stuff around the Bible. I, don't, I can't understand why he's not a Christian, because some of the stuff he says... But in one of his podcasts recently, I was listening to it, it says, we are all aiming creatures. We look at something and we move towards it. You know, I go back to my table tennis thing. That was my aim. My aim was to get that ball in that little circle on that table. That was my aim. That was my goal. And I gave my time and my energy and my passion to making sure that I did that consistently, day in, day out. Because we all aim at something. You know, it doesn't matter whether we're retired or whether we're still at work. We will get up this week and we will have aims in life, you know. My dad, when he retired, he had the best vegetable garden, I think, in South Norfolk. Why is that? Because he, he, was, he loved his garden. It, it was a passion of his. Everything was straight. There were no weeds. The crops were as good as you can get, you know, and the plants were beautiful. Because why was that? Because when he got up on a Monday morning after he'd retired, he went down to his allotment and he spent hours and hours and hours with his passion. It doesn't matter what decade of life we're in. We, we will aim at something this week. And my challenge and my encouragement is, what are we aiming for when it comes to the purposes of God? Are we aiming to seek God's kingdom first because when we aim at something we find that we center our life around it what we aim at tends to organize my perceptions it organizes what I see and what I don't see it will organize my motives it will organize my emotions it will become a dominant factor in my life and so if we want to see a church grow in this place if we want to see the kingdom of God you know, manifest in Morley and Bestforp and the villages around here, it is going to take a Christian community of people who will say, do you know what, I'll put my hand up to that and I will seek God's kingdom first for his purposes in this place. I say it all the time in our church. The kingdom of God isn't about numbers, it's about influence. I really do believe that. You know, we, we, we have, relatively speaking, quite a big church, probably over 200 people come along to our church most Sunday mornings. But there is a percentage of people in our church that do all the work. They're the ones that are just like passionate and committed and just excited about what God is doing in, in our own community. And one of the things that we I preach regularly in our churches, be an influencer this week for the kingdom of God. Wherever God has called you, whether that's in, into a workplace, into, into a village, into you know, a certain circle of people, wherever God or wherever God has called you, we are called to be influencers of his kingdom because that is where our aim should be. And when we aim at something, we do find that we centre our lives around it. And so when I wake up on a Monday morning, having been in church all weekend, you know, we, one of the things, we've, we're privileged to have a few bedrooms in our house and we've dedicated our smallest bedroom to a prayer room. And my routine every morning is I usually get up about half past five in the morning. I'm a farmer's son, I get up early. In fact, my dad would say that was getting up late. <laughs> He used to be up about half four most, most mornings to feed the pigs. Um, but I get up, I get up around about half five most mornings. I go downstairs, I have this little habit every morning. I make myself a cup of tea. I'm a tea drinker in the morning, not a coffee drinker. And I make myself a cup of tea and I go back and I sit in the prayer room and I usually just sit in our little prayer room for about an hour and 15 minutes every morning until about quarter to seven 
before I then have a bit of breakfast and think about going off to work. And it's in those moments that it's that time of the day where God speaks to me most. It's that time of the day where I allow God to reshape my affection, to reshape my, emo- my emotion, to reshape what I'm organising and centering my life around and my prayer every day. In fact, um, I've got a little, I've got a little uh, beaded cross in our prayer room and I hold it every morning and on that cross is the Lord's Prayer. And every morning, it's just part of my habitual prayer time, I just hold that in my hand and say, God, today may your kingdom come through me. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe I have a con- may God give me a chance to have a conversation with someone today that will be a, a message that will just influence that person towards the kingdom of God. May I act in a way today. May I serve in a way today. May I give my emotions. May I give my thoughts. May I give my action. May I give my whole being sacrifice to your kingdom today because I want to be a kingdom influencer because Jesus' words to me is seek first my kingdom, first my kingdom and everything else will be given to you. All those other things will be added to you. So I want, I want to really encourage us this morning. I think that is quite a challenge to us, if I'm honest. You know, seeking first the kingdom is more important than seeking your provision. So I want to really encourage us. If we seek God's kingdom foremost, then we'll start to organize everything in our lives around that because the kingdom becomes everything. To give ourselves to the kingdom of God is to give ourselves to the highest possible purpose in life. And if we do that, I believe we'll see, we'll, we'll influence, we'll see change in our communities. I love that, love that little story of, of Noah when he was, you know, asked by God to go and build an ark. And when everything was about to go terribly wrong, Noah's life had meaning. Noah's life had purpose because he was doing what God had commissioned him to do. And I think when we seek God's kingdom first, even when everything else goes horribly wrong around us, God keeps us afloat in the storm and he stops us being consumed by the flood. And I think that is so important. You know, 10 years ago, October just gone, um, our our nephew James died of cancer at the age of 23. Do you know, when he was, and and I know he was my nephew and not my son, but James lived with us for a year. Um, And so he was like like a son to us. He came and did a year out in our church. And and so James lived with Michelle and I for a whole year. And uh, I remember when he... He got sick. He had a really strong faith in God. He was a beautiful, beautiful young man. He got sick at the age of 21 and a half and he died just 18 months later. And I remember when he, he got sick, he'd, he'd moved back to his home by then, but he came and had a weekend with us and he was going through chemotherapy and all of that. And I remember him standing in my lounge. He'd just given me a great big hug and he said, Uncle Graham, he said, he said I don't, I'm not afraid to die. I said, I don't welcome death, but, I don't, but I'm not afraid to die. Because he had completely given himself to, to, the, to, to living for Jesus, for living for the kingdom of God. I don't know why he was taken from us, and, and I guess I'll go to heaven with unanswered questions. But he was a young man who I used to admire because he centered his life around the kingdom. He went on mission trips. He didn't care about how much money he'd got in his bank account. He, he just didn't get consumed with those things. Maybe he was such a beautiful young man, God thought, I'd rather have him home in heaven than than living in this horrible, corrupt world that we live in. And, but I don't, know, I don't know, I don't have the answer to that. But I look back on that young man's life and I think, gosh, he was so passionate for the kingdom because he didn't care about the provision of his own life. He just wanted to live for the kingdom of God. So I think, you know, when we seek first the kingdom, 
there's a shift in our thinking. There's a shift in our affection. There's a shift in our priorities. There's a shift that takes place. And I'm, I'm not opposed, you know, and, and I'll, I'll mention this on my third point. I'm not opposed to wealth. I, I, I was brought up in a very affluent home. My dad was wealthy. Uh, so, so having wealth is, is not the issue. It's what we do with it. It's the issue. It's how we live and use it. It's the issue. And I think when we, uh, when we don't seek first the kingdom, when we focus our lives around provision, we end up losing focus and we end up getting worried and begin becoming consumed by all the things that God doesn't want us to become consumed by. So seeking his kingdom is more important than seeking his provision. That's my point number two, which leads me nicely onto point number, that's point number one, sorry, which leads me nicely onto point number two. Seeking his kingdom increases my capacity. Seeking his kingdom increases my capacity. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus had just said, don't worry. Don't spend your life worrying about all the things that are going on in your life right now. So my wife's mother and father, who went to Uganda on mission, my wife came from a massive kingdom of God thinking family. All right, My father-in-law used to have this phrase. He, he kind of mentored me unofficially for 30 years, really. And he used to have this phrase. If God has ordered it, he'll pay for it. He lived with this phrase. So he just lived his whole life as a missionary or as a minister or as a pastor here in the UK, believing that if God said, he'd do it. So he never worried about anything. So my wife grew up in a, in a poor family, actually. My wife would tell me stories a few years after we got married that when she was like 12, 13 years old and younger, they couldn't afford, she was one of three children. Her mum and dad couldn't afford to feed them sometimes, couldn't afford to clothe them. And she said, I remember my mum and dad would get us and they, they, we'd all sit around the table and we'd pray for food that week. So I remember when we got married in 1986, interest rates were 14%. Gosh, you can't believe it, can you? And I remember we had this little terraced house in Essex and we had a mortgage and interests, interest rates. And I, I'd, I hadn't got a very well-paid job. My wife was a student nurse and we were really struggling. And I remember I, we would lay in bed at night. And of course, I came from this background of affluence. My wife came from this background of faith and believing God. So she was, she was sleeping soundly. <laughs> and I'm laying there on my pillow thinking, we've got no money, how are we going to cope? And, and she could pick up my body language in the bed and she'd, she'd at times just say to Graham, she said, what are you worried for? And I said, Michelle, we've got no blooming money. I said, we can't afford, we can't afford, our, we can't afford to pay our bills, we've got to have to pay our mortgage next week. And I, she said, just don't worry. She said, don't worry. She said, God will look after us. And she, she has lived her whole life like that. Don't worry, God will look after us. The point I'm making is that I was not being consumed with the kingdom and therefore all my energy was being put into fear and worry and anxiety and Jesus says don't worry about what you'll eat don't worry about how you'll be clothed but seek first my kingdom and so I actually do believe that when we seek first God's kingdom it does increase our capacity because our capacity is full of seeking first his kingdom we don't have time to worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to be clothed with because God Jesus said I'll look after that bit I really will and actually I have to say over 37 years of marriage I have discovered that when we really really need God to come good God 
God has come good. When we really have had no money in our bank account, we have had some remarkable things put through our door. And when we have had no food, we have experienced people dropping off groceries at our door. I remember in 1990, just four years after we got married, Michelle and I felt like we should go on mission to Uganda for three weeks. And it was back in the day when, like, actually it's getting back to that cost now. It was, like, it was about £1,000 each to fly to Uganda for three weeks. And I remember thinking, we just don't have the money. But we, we made the decision that God had asked us to go to Uganda on a mission trip. So we got our credit card out and we paid for these flights on our credit card, thinking we have no chance of paying this money back. And when we got back home, um, there, was, there was a cheque from a building society from Lincolnshire for £1,500. To this day, we still don't know who gave us that money. But there was a cheque on our doormat for £1,500 written from the Nationwide Building Society in, in the city of Lincoln. We, didn't know, we don't know anybody in Lincoln, um, and we still don't. But God has this ability to provide for us. And so seeking first his kingdom increases our capacity. And like I said, I married into a family that were massive on, on believing that God could do anything. God, If God had said it, he would do it. And I want to encourage us don't consume, let's not become consumed with all the things that we don't need to become consumed with. Because when we become consumed with those things, it will fill our hearts and it will fill our minds. They're not necessarily bad things, but they are things that will fill us. It, don't be consumed with, with your pension fund. Don't be consumed with your, your, your different investments. Don't be consumed with you know, the things within your home. Don't be consumed with you know, what car I'm going to get next those things are really really not important and it's so you know I, my father died last year um, and do you know what I remember my dad saying to me why didn't you come to me when you were struggling in 1986 through to about 1990 they were the four years that we really really struggled he said I could have helped you and I said dad I said I'd left home I said, I didn't want to come back and ask you for money I wanted, I wanted to trust God as a young married man myself and 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 try and work this thing out for myself. And I think he really valued that comment from me when I said that to him. But of course, my mum died a few years ago. My dad died last year. And my sister and I have been so incredibly blessed. We've inherited the family farm and all that goes with that. And, and now my, Michelle and I, and I don't, I don't say this in any boastful way, but Michelle and I probably... Ha- are more affluent in our lives now than we've ever been in our lives. We've ever been in our lives. And with that comes great responsibility. We are constantly saying, God, what can we give away? How can we serve you with this? Because I don't want those things to fill my heart to fill my heart and fill my mind. I don't want those things to consume me because even at the age of 57 and as I look towards maybe handing the church over to someone else in the next few years, you know, I want the rest of my life to be consumed by the kingdom of God. It's so important. I want to die knowing that I have sought with all my heart to seek first the kingdom. If God graces me with life into my 80s, I want to get to that stage in my life where the passion of my heart still is your kingdom first, Lord. Your kingdom first. This isn't about what I want. This isn't about the nice, comfortable things in my life. It's about God. May I serve your kingdom with all of my heart. And when we do that, we don't have time to worry about the other stuff. And our capacity increases more and more for the kingdom of God. If we prioritize his kingdom, there will be room for everything else. 
So seeking first his kingdom will increase our capacity. And thirdly, seeking God's kingdom. And I, and I, and I kind of, when I was preparing this, I felt this was, may, maybe if there's an opportunity after us to pray for some people, I love praying with people. Um, maybe this is something that I think is really, really important because we do carry past disappointment and we do carry past hurt from experience. And my third point is this. Seeking God's kingdom is more important than our past negative disappointments and experiences. Seeking God's kingdom is more important than my past negative experiences and disappointments. When you read Numbers 13, I, it's one of my favorite sections of the Bible. There is uh, Moses on the edge of the promised land. And in Numbers 13, he chooses 12 men, doesn't he, from the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, come on, you know, Shamua was one of them and Egal was another one. And there was, um, I've got them all named here, there was Palti and Gadiel and Gadi and Sether and Nabi. And there was Joshua and Caleb. And I can just imagine, there's a bit of preacher's license here, but I can imagine just Moses just standing there and said, guys, you from that tribe, you from that tribe, come here, 12 of you. I want you to go and have a little look at this land that God's promised us. Go and, go and spy it out. You know, come and tell me, report back to me, please, what you find, what you discover, what you hear, what you see, what, what, what the landscape is like, what the crops are like. Just, just go and have a proper good look, a proper, we'd call it a survey nowadays, wouldn't we? Go and have a proper survey, go and have a look at the land, come back and report to me what you find. And it says that they came back and they reported, and it says in verse 32 of Numbers 13, that 10 men uh, began to sow amongst the people a negative report. Caleb stood up and he said, yes, the giants are big, but here's the fruit. We must surely go up and take the land. But the 10 said, I don't think we should. The giants are bigger than we can face, you know, and, and this is what we must do. We mustn't go and take the land. And for 40 years, for 40 years, they wandered around. You know, if you've got any biblical knowledge, you'll know this story really well, but for 40 years they wandered around in the wilderness. Generations died um, having missed the purpose of God. Generations died having missed the promise of God. Even Moses himself missed the fullness of the promise of God. He should have been a stronger leader. That's another sermon, but he should have been a stronger leader. But who journeyed in those 40 years? Caleb and Joshua did. You think of, think about it, you think of the disappointment that Caleb would have carried for 40 years. Think of the, maybe the regret, maybe the pain that he carried for 40 years. And I want to say that for all of us, we'll all carry pain and disappointment from past experience. But if that's where we stay, that's, where we, that's, that's when we'll miss the, the, the excitement and the purposes of the kingdom. Don't stay in your disappointment but seek first the kingdom of God. You know, I cried a lot when our nephew died and I saw his mum and dad broken for, for several years. They still miss him like crazy, but for several years I saw his mum and dad utterly broken, you know, and I saw our family really, he, there was five children, four sisters and one boy, and I saw his sisters just broken as they, as they, as they buried their brother. And, 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 I, and, I, and I look back and I think, God, what was that all about? Why didn't you heal him? We fasted, we prayed, we called on God. You know, hundreds of us did. People from all over the world were praying for him. God, come on, move, break through, heal him if he's cancer. But it didn't happen. But at some point, we can't live 
in that because if we live in that, it will destroy us. Caleb, with the grace of God and the strength of God in his heart, was able to come to that place where he said these, said these words in Joshua 14. So he gets another chance. They're coming through this time and Caleb says these words. And here I am today, 85 years old. I'm as strong as I was the day Moses sent me out. I am as strong as ever in battle, whether coming or going. So give me this land that God has promised me. There was something about God, I'm not going to allow the disappointment and the experience of the past to stop me pursuing what you've got for me in the future. That doesn't mean to say the experience and the disappointment of the past doesn't hurt. But we can't live in that to the detriment of pursuing God's kingdom. We really can't. And I've been in leadership long enough now to have experienced some real disappointment in church life. I've gone through one church split. That was so painful. Uh, I've gone through situations where I've got it wrong and haven't, haven't got it right looking back. I've gone through situations where leaders around me have got it wrong and have treated me badly. You know, you go through those things in life. You go through those battles with your children. You go through those struggles in marriage. You go through those struggles, you know. We've probably, I bet if we were to all listen to one another's stories today, we've all had to face illness in our families. We've all had to see brokenness around the people we love the most. We've, we all experience that. And so I'm not believing the disappointment and the hurt and the pain of past experiences but Caleb stood there that day and he said in all of what I've had to walk through I'm still wanting to pursue the kingdom in all that I've had to go through I still want to move forward with the kingdom of God and so I just want to really encourage us today don't allow your past disappointment and your past experience to stop you pursuing God's kingdom because God's kingdom ultimately is more important Jesus said these words, seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added to you. I want to finish just by just leaving you with one verse. One of my favorite verses of all time, Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. Another version says, for we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's for every born again, saved believer. You sitting here today are the workmanship and masterpiece of God. With all your flaws, with all your strengths, with all your weaknesses, and you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's not for people in their 20s and 30s only. That's for every decade. Whatever you've done for God in the past, and I don't know anybody in this room except Nigel and Tammy, and even I don't know all of Nigel and Tammy's past either, okay? but I certainly don't know anybody else in this room. Whatever God, however God has used you, whatever God has done in your life, there is more. There's a, there's a place to serve. There's a place to be a kingdom influencer. And I think as we enter this season of Christmas, you know, and we celebrate the birth of Christ and we, we focus around the purpose of his, his coming. Why, did Je- why was Jesus born in the first place? He was born to grow, to be a man that brought the kingdom of God to the earth. That's why he came. He came with one message only, the message of the kingdom. And Jesus says to every single one of his followers, this is what I want you to give your life to. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added to you. Amen.